Good morning, Friends Church. Welcome. It's so great to see so many people live today, and welcome to those people who are joining us online. My name is Alita. I'm part of the charitable giving team here at Friends Church, and I just wanted to say thank you. Um, We're so grateful for all of those of you who give regularly or give who you can. And if you're new here to Friends Church um, and you've been here for a bit and you're liking what it's about, then um, we welcome you to join in and, and to give what you can. We have three ways of giving at Friends Church. You can give online um, at www.friendschurch.ca. You can give on our Friends Church app, which is the spiritual gym. Love that metaphor. And um, also we have a black box at the back. So thank you to all of you who give to make this an incredible, wonderful giving space of belonging. Thanks, Alita. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so, how are you guys liking that projector today? <laughs> Jeez. It was starting to look a little sad the last couple of weeks, and then it just died a horrible death. So, we'll have to deal with that one day. Um, I have a confession to make. Um, the first time I ever drank alcohol, I was 27 years old. It's pretty old, huh? I was sitting down in Kensington. I was at a uh, pub. Do you remember, uh, does anyone know what Hayden Block, you know the Hayden, what did it, it used to be like Bass Brothers or something like that? Does anyone remember that one? Bass Brothers? Okay. Sitting down at Bass Brothers one day, and instead of ordering a Coke like I normally did, which would keep me up at night, for some reason in that moment, I decided to order a beer. And it was like dark like my heart. I don't know why my first beer was an oatmeal stout, but it was. You see, in my family, drinking was like, you could kill somebody and then the next worst thing you could do is drinking. I don't know why. There's not a history of alcoholism, there's nothing like that. It was just, you know, our entire lives it was like, well don't drink, that's bad. That's sinful. I remember one of my aunts um, drank alcohol. It was quite the scandal. She was also divorced, and the question was, well, now we know why. My grandfather, my mom's father, put away money from when we were really young and said, if you don't drink, you'll get this for college. So I got paid to not drink. Now, some people look at me and think, 27, wow. You see, one of the things about my personality, for better, for worse, Peer pressure doesn't work on me. As soon as someone says, you have to do this or we're not going to like you, I'm like, screw you all, I'm going to do whatever I want. And so growing up, all of my church friends, which is where I grew up in a church, none of them drank either. And my school friends, they'd be like, drink, I was like, screw you guys, you guys are weak, you know, I'm a straight edge, whatever. University kicked in, more and more of my friends drinking. I'm still like, no, peer pressure doesn't work on me. I'd like to say that because I didn't drink, I didn't make stupid decisions, but I made a lot of stupid decisions. I just couldn't blame it on drinking, which was a bit disappointing. As time went on, it kind of became my identity. Oh, I don't drink. I still go to the bar, I still do everything, whatever, but I don't drink. Why? Why was that the thing? So I'm sitting at a, a bar, and for some reason I order an oatmeal stout. 
And I remember sitting there kind of, they put it down in front of me. It's like this, nice head on it. And I kind of was like, well, now what do I do? I've spent 20 year, 27 years not drinking this. In our family, it was never said explicitly, but it was implicit. Drinking leads to alcoholism. Drinking leads to cheating on your partner. Drinking leads to, you know, anything bad you can come up with, that's to blame. And so this moment where I'm sitting there looking at my beer, it's a big moment for me. I'm going, am I going to let all of that go? And I didn't even realize how much was in me because there's this kind of lifetime of training that says somehow that's bad. If I would have had a black Coke, totally fine. But because there's alcohol in that, that's bad. So I know some of you, because I know your story, you're looking at me going, Vince, you grew up in the weirdest society, the weirdest family ever. But I'm guessing each and every one of us had something that we grew up with that was bad. What was yours? What did your family, you know, maybe they said it was explicitly or implicitly. It's like, oh no, that's not good. Your church, your society. I've been talking to people all week. (laughs) You know, if you know me and you have a conversation with me before a message, we're going to be talking about my message at some point. So everyone I've talked to all week, I keep saying, hey, what was the bad thing in your family? One lady, she's like, oh, tight pants. Tight pants and bra straps. You know, guys looking at my beer going, what's the big deal about beer? Tight pants and bra straps. She's like, that was the worst thing you can do. It was horrible. She's like, I finally got to the place where I can wear tightish pants, but my bra strap showing like, I just can't, I can't go to the house like that. It's like, well, that's strange. But it's really deep down. Yeah, that's bad. Talked to someone else. They said, oh, dancing. <laughs> I went through entire, all my schooling, my grade schooling, up to grade 12, never going to dance, even go to my grad dance. Finally, at university, you know, I'm on my own and I can do whatever I want, so I go to a dance and I sat at the back awkwardly and watch everyone because I have no clue what I'm doing. But it was a strange thing of like, wait, what's, why is this so bad? Talked with one person. His was how he believed or conceived of the word God. Growing up, God was this super being, all-powerful, that could do whatever that character wanted. And he looked around and he's like, wait a second, why isn't that character helping those people or taking care of that stuff? And over the years he realized, I don't believe in that God anymore. The thing that wasn't allowed in his family was to question your conception of God. So what was the thing? Tattoos, piercings, sex before marriage, that's a classic. Anything to do in the sexual realm, masturbation, sex with somebody who's not the right gender, whoever defines the gender. For me, in my family, it was that. And I sat there looking at this beer. Just by the way, if you can look through your beer, it's not a beer, it's just dirty water. A beer should look like that. 
and all that programming, all that this is wrong, subtly, obviously, and I didn't even realize all that was on, but when I sat in front of that beer the first time, I was like, oh my goodness. Then I had my first sip. And nothing happened. I didn't turn into a raging alcoholic that minute. I didn't take off all my clothes and start trying to have sex with random people. I didn't say horrible things to random people as I was walking down the street. I didn't suddenly drink 30 of these. I just sat and drank a delicious beer and realized, wow, this stuff tastes really good. And that blew my mind. I didn't even realize how much unconscious crap was in my brain tied to that. I didn't even realize all the rationalizations where I'm like, I don't give in to peer pressure, I'm about control, you guys all suck. It was just fear of that. I was literally scared of it. Until I had my first sip and I was like, huh? Well, that tastes good. Then I realized, port is delicious. And then I got onto the whole thing of ciders. Don't even get me started on ciders. <laughs> Whoever invented those is probably monks. Well done, guys. And then Italy, I realized there's some red wine that doesn't taste like crap. Who knew? Got me thinking, how much effort have we put in collectively to not doing the things we were taught were bad? How much effort did each and every one of us put into not doing the things that we were taught were bad? And what could we have done with all that effort? The word we use to understand what it is to avoid something is the word self-control. This whole series has been based on this idea that Jesus once says to somebody, if you want to look at a, like a really mature spiritual person, Look at their fruit. It's a metaphor. Then another writer comes along, his name is Paul, comes along and says, ah, actually fruit is made up of these things. And one of the words they use is the word we translate self-control. The word actually is, if you look in Greek, it's enkradia, which if you translate, uh, I got a little technical there. Begged is like the famous dictionary to translate this stuff. When you translate it, it translates into restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires, which is the English word we often use, self-control, right? Mark, uh, sorry, uh, Mike, can you flip the next one? So self-control defined is restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires. But here's the deal. That's not what my brain thought when I thought of self-control in this context. My brain added a little sentence at the end of that. Can you throw it up for me, Mike? Self-control, defined, restraint of one's emotions or impulses or desires to do sinful things. Self-control is about not drinking this when other people are drinking this. Self-control is about not doing the thing that whatever your family, wearing tight pants. I don't know what the big deal with the tight pants was, but... 
Whatever your thing was, dancing, masturbation, um, going to certain shows, listening to certain kind of music, whatever your thing is, self-control is the thing that we use to avoid doing those bad things. And for the first while of this message, I, fruits of the Spirit made sense. Love. Actually, remember we've had this whole model of spirituality, awareness, I, them. Love is figuring out how I am going to care about them. Do I love them? How do I love them? Peace is this idea that says I can regulate myself enough to actually make choice in how I deal with other people. Joy is just awesome. By the way, for all the people who messaged me this week and told me their amazing joy stories, that was awesome. I enjoyed listening to them. And the random things in your life that you're like, I don't think I could have told anyone else. But I'm telling you. The fruit of the Spirit, those fruits make total sense. Until I get to self-control, and I'm like, no, 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 self-control is about not doing bad things, not doing sinful things, not drinking, because that's bad. But what has that done to us as humans? A friend of mine grew up in a, a community similar to mine, really religious, really conservative. And he knew fairly quickly that something, something wasn't the same for him as other people. Growing up, he realized that when the boys were talking about girls, the feelings they seemed to be feeling weren't the feelings he's feeling. But he knew. In his tradition, the thing that was bad was boys being sexually attracted to boys. In fact, in his tradition, there was this idea that that super being conception of God would send you to fiery, if, like a fiery lake to burn for all eternity if you're sexual with boys and you're a boy. Talk about brutal. Now just as an aside, this conception of sending people to this burning lake of fire to burn for eternity, it's not a biblical concept. Jesus never ever talks about this. This is something that gets evolved probably about 300 years later. But in his tradition, that's what it is. If you're a boy and you're sexual with another boy, you will burn in hell for eternity. Not for a couple hours, not for a couple days, for all time. Shit, I'd be like. And he was. By the time he hit junior high, it was everything he could do to not realize that he doesn't feel the same as everybody else. It's taking every bit of what? Self-control. He's young, full of hormones. There's beautiful boys. They're looking at him going, hey, how you doing? And he's like, ah. He made it through high school without ever being sexual with a boy. Into university. And there's men around him going, like you're beautiful inside and out. I want to show you what life can be like as we share a life of love. We can have pleasure together. We can have joy. And they're dying to do this. And he's going, everything in me feels I want that. But I'm going to burn in hell forever if I do it. By the time he finished university, 
His words were, I was running out of self-control. I want it. I'd watch movies of these like boys and girls who meet up and have this like toward romance and then they get together and they're sexual with each other and there's so much love there and so much passion and I want that so damn bad. Oh, I can even feel for him. But I can't because I believe I'll burn in a lake of fire forever if I do this. And so for him, self-control was that thing, to not do sinful things. He believed that being sexual with another boy was sinful, and it was everything he could do not to do it. He finally started going to conversion camps where they would use brutal stuff, shame, guilt, physical pain, disembodiment. He started going on dates with women dating. They don't realize that he's gay. (laughs) He's pretending because if maybe if you fake it long enough maybe you can make it. These women are falling in love with him and he's going there's nothing he can do. The self-control is falling apart and so he threw it all away. He threw away his religion He threw away his life. He moved to another city. He left his family. In his mind, it was because I didn't have enough self-control to avoid the sinful thing. Until he sat down with a counselor that really cared about him, that didn't have an agenda that says, my whole goal to be with you is to make sure that you're not sexual with another man. But a counselor that said, how are you doing? How are you doing? What did you grow up with? What's the stories you're hearing in your head right now? And he realized something beautiful. He realized that maybe the problem wasn't his lack of self-control. Maybe the problem was where he was applying his self-control. Maybe the problem wasn't I don't have enough self-control to not be sexual with other men who desperately want to be sexual with me and I want to be sexual with them. That's not the problem. The problem is the belief that maybe that's not right. How much time and effort and pain and suffering? He's a 30-year-old man. His entire life has been about trying to suppress this desire. Everything he's done, every bit of energy he's put into that. And for the first time, he starts to go, wait a second, what if it's not the alcohol that's the problem? What if I'm applying my self-control to the wrong thing? Now, folks, let's be honest. There are things we shouldn't do. I'm not saying everything's okay. I'll talk about that in a second. So if your brain's right away is going like, hey, look, I have a problem with alcohol or with, or with, or with, or with. You know, I wear tight pants all the time. I can't get the tight pants out of my head. I should have worn tights today to make my point. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> there are things we shouldn't do. But let me nuance it a little bit more carefully as I get here. 
Because what I realized from my friend's story is my conception of self-control was that one. Can you throw it up again for me, Mike? Restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires to do sinful things. But that last line isn't in the definition. If it's there in your mind like it is in mine, we put it there. Paul, the person who actually says that word self-control, he tells another story a little later on, and I'm going to tell it through the lens of my buddy Vince Fowler. Vince Fowler is one of my coaches, so if ever I have a half-decent message, you should give him a thumbs up, like, thanks for fixing that. Now, he's an ultra runner, and I used to be an ultra runner too back in the day, and so he's really into it right now. So every time I talk to him, I say, hey, what, what are you up to today? And he's like, oh, I ran. I had a great, what was it? I called him or talked to him yesterday. I had a great two-and-a-half-hour run. My IT band didn't act up. I was like, oh, how's your nutrition? We're talking through that. How's your feet? Oh, yeah, good, good, good. The other day, he did a 50K fun run. Did anyone do 50K fun runs? He just decided to go for a 50K. I was going to go for a little run. Uh, what was it, seven times around Nose Hill or something like that? <laughs> he, he likes to suffer fast, right? Why is he doing this? Because he has a goal. There's a, a race out of Lethbridge he's doing, and there's a race, um, the Sinister Seven. He's planning to do the 80K Sinister Seven. Just if you don't know that race, that's over s- three full-size mountains. I've run that course. It's hell. What is he doing to get this amount of training in? What is he doing to get his butt off the couch playing Call of Duty on his phone to get this stuff done, to do these training races, to do weightlifting, to make sure he's eating enough and all this stuff? It's, what word? Self-control. But here's the difference. He's not doing it because sitting on the couch is bad or sinful or I'm lazy or I shouldn't do it. That was the Vince way of thinking about it. He's doing it because he wants to find joy at the end of an 80-kilometer run. It's not that this is bad. It's that this is good. When I thought of self-control from the lens of growing up, this, all I could think about was not doing bad things. But Paul actually says self-control is what an athlete does or uses to accomplish the feats that they want to accomplish in their sport. So here's my question for you. How much of your self-control is focused on joy? On creating joy, the fruit of the Spirit, joy in your life. How much of it is focused on love and generosity and peace? I spent 27 years trying to avoid drinking. My buddy spent over 30 years trying not to be gay. How much of that was focused actually on the rest of the fruit of the Spirit? Zero. I love it when Jesus throws down this like little comment off the side and it just like blows my whole life up. It's like everything I ever saw was different now. Paul who defines that term self-control as the thing an athlete uses to accomplish the things they want to accomplish. Not just focused on the absence of bad things, to actually accomplish good things. He says this one line. He says, 
all things are permissible. Isn't that interesting? I'm like, I'm pretty sure you never grew up in my family if you're saying that out loud. Because I'm pretty sure drinking's bad, sex before marriage is bad. I can go on for like an hour and tell you all the things that are bad. So there's not all things that are permissible, so I think you maybe should have read your own writings. He says, all things are permissible. But not all things are beneficial. <laughs> Incomplete anathema to my tradition is this new movement called hookup culture. So remember in the order of sins, killing somebody, drinking alcohol, and then having sex outside of marriage. That was like the top three. If you hit all those, that's the trifecta. Hookup culture is this idea that says we have birth control now, we have ability to protect against STIs, so we can have what was called casual sex. I can meet somebody, we find a sexual spark together, we can be sexual together. It's easy, we have apps that like help this all happen. Some Mennonite grandfather leader of the church guy is like rolling over in their grave right now. But remember what Paul said, all things are permissible. So if all things are permissible, then maybe hookup culture is okay? Am I even allowed to say that on stage here? But here's what we learned. And for me, this has always been the case. Not all things are beneficial. Some people, hookup culture, no problems. Other people, sex is tied to emotion too strongly. And the partner after partner after partner is problematic for them. And so is it permissible? Maybe. Is it beneficial? They have to figure that out for themselves. Friend Church has been talking about this for years. We have this value that says every one of us is on a unique spiritual journey. What is permissible and what is beneficial, each one of us has to figure out for ourselves. I can't sit up here and say, hey, you over there, you can't do this. And you over there, this is the thing you can't do. Because they don't know. Because it's not about a rule about permissible. It's about a rule about what's beneficial. And I don't know enough about your life. I hardly know enough about my life. I realize it's okay for me to drink. I don't seem to have a problem with alcohol. I have one and I'm fine. If I have more than one a week, maybe two a week, my training starts to fall apart. I don't sleep as well. It's not bad. It's just, you know, at the end of a long run, I'm kind of like, ugh. Or the couch just seems really, really pleasant. And the self-control I have to actually want to do the things I want to do gets difficult. So beneficial, yeah, I enjoy it. But I am careful about how much I drink. Not because it's bad. That left my brain that day. But because it's not beneficial for me. Now, if you want an easy spiritual journey, don't come to Friends Church. <laughs> Go to a church that will tell you what to do and what not to do. They'll give you a whole list. Here's all the things you need to do and not do. You're going to lose alcohol. I'm sorry. They'll tell you everything. You don't have to do anything. Just follow the rules. 
But our tradition takes this very seriously and says, self-control isn't just around not doing sinful things, the list of sinful things that someone gave you. It's about interacting with everything in our lives through what's beneficial. My friend can wear tight pants. She can't show a bra strap. Just doesn't work for her. Okay. Some people can have hookup culture sex and it doesn't seem to bother them. They make sure that both people are enjoying themselves. We had a great time. You had a great time. This worked for both of us. We were very open. Great. Some people, hell no. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Suddenly that changes the rules we grew up with, isn't it? As we come to the end of this series, the whole point has been to build a unique spiritual journey for each of us that has more spiritual fruit in it more joy, more love, more peace, generosity. I think self-control is a tool by which we get those good things. It's not the thing itself. In fact, when I think self-control is just the thing, you know, the monastic people who just sit with like dirty clothes in a cold cell and eat crappy food and not enough of it and like whip themselves... They're like, hey, I got wicked self-control. And I'm going, that's nice. Do you have any joy? Do you have any peace? How much of our lives have we spent and how much energy have we spent trying to avoid these bad things that we were taught were bad? And when we look at it through Paul's lens, is that actually beneficial to us? Is that creating more fruit of the Spirit? For some people, yes. As I say, I still don't drink a ton. But I do enjoy beer now and again. As we end this series, I want you to start looking at life, or at least, let me, I'm going to back off and not be quite as dogmatic about this. I want to invite you to look at your life through this lens of the fruit of the Spirit. What's creating joy in your life these days? And how can you use self-control to actually make more of that happen? I've been thinking about this week, and I was like, self-control shouldn't be focused on drinking. It should be asking my, like, having a hard conversation with my wife, saying, hey, babe, there's this thing we need to talk about. We need to make this better. Self-control should be focused around going to the mountains. Yesterday, I was, we had this big climb for dirt biking. Self-control is about, like, marshalling myself to not be like, I'm just going to sit out down here and wait for y'all but it's also what pushes me to go and help people when they can't make it up. Self-control is connect or correcting my spending. So not because I'm buying bad things and buying things is bad. It's, I don't think it is. Again, all things are permissible. But are my spending in a way that fits my larger values of generosity? Do I need to cut back here, not because something's bad, but because I want to do even more good? When you look at your lens and your spiritual journey, not through avoiding bad things, but how do we celebrate more good things? How do we bring more of that into our lives? Suddenly, this whole thing shifts, doesn't it? I'm looking at my life through this lens of 
how do I bring more joy into this? I, I was, uh, my coach was Jerry this week. Um, and as we're coming through the end of the coach, he tells me this story. And he says, I have a friend who happens to be gay as well. We didn't tie in our stories, but he's like, he knew he was gay for most of his life and he was married and had kids, married to a woman. But he knew he was gay, but he was trying to live this straight life somehow and he ended up becoming an alcoholic to try and deal with it. I was just thinking about the amount of self-control that guy tried to exert to not be gay. Took everything he had. And when his self-control started to weaken, he started to drink to try and compensate. He said, finally, he was like, okay, screw it. I'm done with this. He got honest with his relationship. He went to 12-step. Got sober. And swore from that day on, I will not use self-control to try and make myself straight. He met the love of his life. Another man. They're married now. An incredible relationship. His kids no longer live with his wife. For whatever reason, she was stuck in pain and suffering. He's used all of his self-control to become a better husband, a better dad, a better human being, and people flock to him. He's got joy and peace and love. His kids want to live with him. When I hear that story, I go, that's the spiritual journey I want to be on. That's the spiritual journey that I think will take this community and will change the world around us. Because we're not policing stuff like this anymore. What we're doing instead is trying to bring love and joy to everyone around us. And if we're willing to make that shift from self-control, just focus there, to self-control as bringing more beauty into this world... I don't think we can stop it from changing for the better. My prayer as we finish this message and this series, and I'm going to use prayer because it's old school language for me. (laughs) That's how I grew up. My prayer for each of us is that we use self-control to create beautiful fruits of the Spirit in our lives and in the lives of people around us. That's my prayer for you and my prayer for me. And one more old school thing, amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Vince. That was great. And I'm glad for those that have been able to join us throughout this Fruit of the Spirit um, series. I just want to quickly mention a new series that we begin next week. Tell you a little bit about it so you know what's coming. Uh, You know, I grew up, and speaking of traditions, I grew up in a church tradition that had a deep, deep belief that there was some kind of force, some kind of power, entity out there. We called him God. And in our tradition, it was a masculine power out there. But this power was deeply, intimately acquainted with all the ins and outs of our own personal lives. And that 
this God could know what's going on in our lives and that this power could intervene every now and then, sometimes, miraculously, in the daily goings-on of our lives. I grew up in this tradition. There were times when we'd be sitting on a Sunday morning and someone would stand up and say, God, just talk to me, and he wants me to tell someone here something. I remember being at an age at one point just going, it probably had already always been going on, but I was just at that age where all of a sudden I was struck by it. I'm like, just talk to you and you're going to tell us what he said. If I think back over my lifetime in that tradition, I saw some things. Um, some of it, just freaky weird. I mean, we stepped out of that tradition and we started Friends Church over 20-some years ago. And if I'm honest with you, there was a part of me that wanted to take a lot of what I had experienced back in that tradition and shove it into a suitcase, lock it up, throw it away because I went, man, there is some stuff there that I would never ever be able to explain. I don't know if it was all just cooked up. I don't know. I don't know. But I got to be honest with you. Ever since I left that tradition, for the last 20 some years I've been a part of friendship. I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people. There have been times when my wife has been speaking with my sons about something that happened way back in the day in that tradition. And I'm like, Kathy, don't, don't, don't bring that stuff up. Don't, that just wrecks them. That'll, but I can see the intrigue in my boy's eyes just going, wait, what? They'd never been exposed to that. I said, ah, let's keep that separate. There are other times when they come home and they go, something strange happened over at so-and-so's house. I go, really? What was that? They begin telling this story, and they're going, I don't know. It's a ghost. I don't know what's going on there. So we begin talking, and it's amazing how even just their own experience. I've grown up as completely, they have these questions like, is there something else going on here, Dad? Is there some stuff here that we're not seeing? What do you know? Tell us what you know. I'm just like, I don't know. Honestly, I have some people that I talk to, again, outside of my church tradition, that say, the spookiest thing happened to me this week. And they'll talk about coincidences. They'll talk about just weird things happening that are so uncanny. They're going, is something else going on here? Chances are, you might not have grown up in my freaky tradition, but you've had moments where you're just like, okay, that's weird. I got stuff in my suitcase right now I haven't resolved yet. I got some X-Files in there that I'm still looking at going, I, I know what I saw. And there's some of those stories I've told here. 
or I'm still, my brain is like mangled because of it. I'm going, I have no. So next week, we want to start a series called Transcending the Physical. Because there is, it seems, something beyond what we can just prove. But we can't prove it. Some of it's just pure weirdness. And I don't really want to deal with weirdness, in all honesty. But there is a part of our world and our life that just seems to be dabbling in this kind of stuff. And I think we need to be able to just talk openly. Honestly, without freaking anyone out, but being able to find language for the unexplainable. And whatever language you land on, well, that's your deal. Chances are you've got an X-file or two. And I think it would be beautiful for our spiritual journeys to be able to entertain those conversations with openness and curiosity and wonder. Because this bent on science and provability and we're only going to talk about that which we can prove, boy, that only gets us so far. There is a, a large part of our world that sits outside of that realm. So, anyways... I can't wait to see what we have to say next week. It's going to be great. You won't want to miss it. In fact, if you have someone that's, that's always been intrigued by this stuff, you want to bring them out. It's going to be a great one. It's called Transcending the Physical. I think it's three weeks. I think we're doing it. So anyways, you'll want to join us then. We're really happy you joined us this morning. We hope you've enjoyed your time in the spiritual gym. Vince got you wrestling. Maybe you'll... For those that won't mind, you'll go home and enjoy yourself, imbibe a little. For those that can't, don't. But may we all ex exercise beautiful self-control that leads to beautiful things this week, hey? Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week.